0: Hello and welcome to NER Out Loud. I'm Carolyn Keebler, editor of New England Review, and today I'll be presenting a reading by Madison Middleton from Suffering in Motion, a short story by McKenna Marsden, followed by an intimate conversation between reader and writer. Madison Middleton is a junior at Middlebury College, majoring in theater and music, with a focus on acting, playwriting, and voice. McKenna Marsden, A current MFA candidate at the University of Maryland, College Park, grew up in Oregon and spent the majority of their adult life in Greater Boston. Suffering in Motion, which appeared in New England Review's Winter 2019 issue, was their debut publication. For the past five years or so, the New England Review has brought pieces from the magazine alive on stage, read by Middlebury students, in front of an audience. This live NER Out Loud program is traditionally followed by a reception and some more readings by student writers. Since live theater audiences were not part of our world in November 2020 when the program was scheduled, we decided instead to have the students record the work live on stage to an audience of three program director Dana Yetten, audio engineer Mark Christensen, and me. And then, To help make up for that lack of audience interaction and the absence of the hot chocolate and some more readings afterwards, we brought reader and author together virtually to share their experience of reading and being read. And now we bring all of that to you, our listeners. We'll start with Madison Middleton's reading of an excerpt of the story.
1: Suffering in Motion by McKenna Marsden. Hannah is faster than you. This morning, every morning, Hannah wakes up at 5.50 to run. Through four municipalities, from the unsightly traffic of Medford, Massachusetts, along the Mystic River into North Cambridge, onto the bike path through Arlington to Lexington. Not up to usual pace today, No clear reason, except maybe an odd pain in the sole of the right foot. Hannah starts to feel something like resentment or anxiety, which brings up anxiety about talking to mom later today, which settles into a general high, weird pall over the day's run. Nothing for it but to keep running. Running works all these things out. Around mile seven, a man passes from behind and the feeling hardens into hatred and points right at him. Hardly anyone passes Hannah anymore, but those who do are always men. Hannah wants to stop him and say, I just wanted you to know that you've done nothing to deserve your body and I'm actually faster than you. What Hannah does instead is fuck up the day's recovery run and kick up to a 5K pace, pounding foot to pavement until the man gets closer, closer, closer. The men who pass Hannah can almost always be caught, and Hannah sails past this one, hoping this anonymous idiot learns a lesson in humility and that this doesn't hurt too much tomorrow. It's only several miles later, still running too fast, that Hannah notices the tendons of the right foot again a light tension under the skin that winches a little tighter with each footfall. We are experiencing connection issues. The image of Hannah's mother in the Skype window is bright and overexposed. Between the broken overhead light and the tiny north-facing window, the screen emits most of the light in Hannah's room. Hannah sits patiently as the picture jerks and freezes and fragments. This is what you get for using the Wi-Fi from the Dunkin' Donuts next door. Hannah's mother says from the screen, Package arrive in time? Yes, Hannah says. The box was left on the porch yesterday, a day early for Hannah's 26th birthday. Six pairs of running socks and a fluorescent vest with blinking lights all over it. Thank you, I'll definitely use those. I just worry about you out there running at night. Cars aren't looking for you. I know. I'm careful. And now I'll be super visible. Hannah smiles. I actually... Um, I actually wanted to talk to you about something. To what you cut out. To talk to you about something? To tell you something? When Hannah's mother appears to be present and listening, Hannah says, So, I wanted to tell you that I'm non-binary. What? Non-binary. After a long pause, Hannah says, It means I don't identify with either. I know what it means. I've heard of it. Hannah's mother remains frozen with a furrowed brow, and it's unclear if the issue is emotional or technological. Eventually, she says, you know that women can be anything they want to be, right? You don't need to have a label for yourself. It's okay to just be different. I know, it's not that I feel like women can't be how I am. I just don't feel like I'm a woman. Hannah feels strange even saying the words, I'm a woman. Not upset, exactly, but like they're completely irrelevant to the fact of Hannah's existence. Hannah's not sure how to explain this to another person. Hannah's mother starts to say something and the computer chirps and freezes. She moves without sound for a second, then fades out as Skype traces dots across the screen and makes radar ping sounds. We are experiencing connection issues. When Hannah's mother comes back, she says, just worry about your safety. Hannah tries to think of what could have led up to this sentence and says, sorry, you cut out for a second. I already wear a reflective orange jacket when I run every day. I look like a safety cone. No, no, not cars, from people. It is 34 degrees and raining. Hannah runs, foot, 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 moving forward at a pace impossibly slow. Hannah mentally tries out pronouns in rhythm with the footsteps. They, them, they, them, they, them. Hannah uses it in a sentence. Hannah is doing their long run today. They are running the Boston Marathon in two months. The rain is making them wet and cold. It's awkward, but there's something appealing about it. The suggestion of containing multitudes. As Hannah is feeling this idea out in the bones and tendons of their feet, by the condos and sports fields of East Arlington, the pain under the sole of the right foot comes back. It seems worse than yesterday. These are fresh shoes. It's the same surface Hannah runs on every day. Nine miles from home with numb toes and ice water running into their eye sockets. There's nothing Hannah can do about it but keep running. It will probably go away on its own. At home, Hannah trudges up both flights of stairs to their bedroom and sits on the bed, clammy. They start the process of looking at the bottom of their foot. Hannah has extremely tight hamstrings, and it takes some rocking and leveraging, but Hannah is patient. Eventually, they can see it. Something in the arch of Hannah's foot, stretched from ball to heel, like a guitar string under the skin. Duly noted. Eddie sits at the kitchen table while Hannah boils water for coffee in a saucepan. Hannah spoons instant coffee into mismatched mugs. Eddie says, have you told anyone at work? No, I think I'm going to wait until after the marathon. I don't think anyone would even remember if I said anything now. But I still want to invite Brandon to our after race thing, and then he'd find out before everyone else. Ugh, I hate this. That's fine. It's okay to start with the people you're most comfortable with. But then it becomes a thing, Hannah says. And he'll be like, when are you telling people, Hannah? I hate it when some people know and some people don't. I feel like I'm being dishonest. Dave, the roommate Hannah is friendliest with, shuffles into the kitchen in his sweatpants and looks in the fridge. He says, me, I'm one of the people who doesn't know. Eddie laughs. What do you even think we're talking about? Whatever it is, I don't know it. This is exactly the kind of situation Hannah doesn't like. Not telling Dave now would feel like keeping a secret from him. So Hannah says, fine, I'm non-binary. Dave finds a jar of homemade kombucha he was looking for and stands up. Like for gender? Yeah. Okay, cool. He looks between Hannah and Eddie. Seems like he's about to say more, but then instead starts shuffling back out of the kitchen. He taps his head. Duly noted. Green and purple. Hannah gets up at 5.50 and starts a tempo workout, 20 minute intervals at the maximum pace at which the lungs and heart can process oxygen. Hannah feels like their lungs are literally burning, like a steam engine. But at the beginning of the second interval, the foot starts to tighten. 10 minutes in, the force of slamming it into the ground again and again is bringing tears to Hannah's eyes. And at 15 minutes, the pain is so sharp, it makes Hannah trip and stumble. They stop. They put their hands on their hips and stand there on the path, looking to someone's backyard in the dark, breathing hard, getting cold in their flimsy windbreaker. They remember the 20-minute timer still going on their watch and turn it off. They are six miles from home. They clench their teeth and bounce on their toes and start back, each step like a steel cable cutting into flesh and bone. When they get home, Hannah lies on their bed and groans. It's still dark. They see the notification light blinking on their phone and flop across the bed to look at it. There's a text from last night from Hannah's mom. Hi, sweetie, I was thinking about our conversation the other day and I just wanted to say it makes me so sad to think of you being unhappy. You are such a unique, independent person and I hate to think of you getting caught up in all the fads going around these days. No one gets to tell you you aren't a real woman. Love to you and give my love to Eddie, mom. Hannah puts their face down on the bed and goes limp. They breathe into the blankets. They shouldn't be reading this right now because they shouldn't even be home. They should be somewhere out in Lexington, moving. Hannah's phone slides out of their limp hand and clatters loudly on the wood floor. They slide off the bed and scoot over to look at it. The screen lights up in bands of green and purple. The surface cracked into irregular panes. They put the phone back down on the floor. They reach down to their foot and feel it, gently exploring the hard things under the skin. Friends. At work, Hannah stands at the staff computer and looks at reviews of running shoes. They try to stand on the other foot. The music is insistent and annoying and their coworkers' laughter abrasively loud Hannah reads the same sentence about heel drops six times. It takes them a few seconds to register that Brandon is talking to them. Hey, he says. Sorry, I was just wondering. Since you did Boston last year, what are you doing about your stuff? The whole thing where you put it in the little bags and drop it off and pick it up seems complicated. Hannah responds automatically. My girlfriend's meeting me with it at the finish. It's way easier if you can just give it to someone and not have to deal with the weird bag system. Your friends are coming to see you race? He laughs. You've got better friends than me. Girlfriend. I've only got the one. Ah, yeah. Okay. Brandon's face goes through some different stages of processing the information and conveying that he's cool. Hannah now realizes they've never had a conversation with Brandon that wasn't about running. They talk to Brandon every day. They'd been planning on inviting him over to an after-race party. His marathon time is two thirty-five, ten 10 minutes faster than Hannah's, even though he's not as good as a runner. Hannah tries to remember that Brandon has done nothing wrong, that they like Brandon. He says, "'Well, I don't have one of those either.' I guess I'll just have to deal with the weird bags. It's not that bad. I did it last year, Hannah says. They think about saying something else. Something like, my girlfriend's name is Eddie, which is short for Edith, and she makes weird electronic music. And also, I'm from Freedom, New Hampshire, and all my best friends as a kid were dogs, and I've never known how I'm supposed to be or act or what gender is, and so I decided I'm non-binary. What do you think about that? But Brandon sees a customer come in and goes to the door. So Hannah looks back down at the computer and the sentence about heel drop. Sloth. David and Dave are sitting in the living room drinking beer and watching planet Earth. Hannah joins them. David says, So Dave said you're non-binary. Oh, yeah, sorry, I keep forgetting I only told him. No, no, it's cool. I just wanted to get it right. I appreciate that. The three of them sit on the couch and direct their attention to the TV. Halfway through the first beer, Hannah's saying, I just, why can't I be a sloth? Look at them. They just hang out in trees and grow algae on them and exist. I wish I knew how to be a sloth. Dave and David exchange a look. Dave says, Were you drinking before you got here? No? Have you eaten anything today? Hannah considers this. No? Hannah. It's my foot, Hannah says. I don't get hungry when I'm not running. I don't know how to feed myself. I don't know how to sleep. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just... I don't know how to be a sloth. Three miles is nothing. Hannah has the next day off work. They wake up at 5.50. They lie there. They ought to feel hungover, but don't. Just miserable. They want to cry, but can't make themselves. This is one of the things that always made Hannah feel unfemale. The inability to cry. They lie there a long time. They pick up their laptop from where it's sitting next to the bed and turn it on. They look up local races. They find a small 5K happening later that morning in Somerville and get dressed in running clothes and leave the house to go. It starts raiding or maybe sleeting. They stand at the bus stop, shivering and grinding their teeth. Three miles is the blink of an eye to Hannah. Three miles is nothing. Three miles can't possibly hurt their foot more than it's hurt, and they need to feel like they exist. The race is at a little park on the Mystic. There are people who look like they've never run a 5K before, and people who look like they do these for fun sometimes, and three guys who are clearly competitive, doing warm-up sprints. Hannah gets registered and does some strides on the grass. Their foot feels fine. The competitive guys stop what they're doing for a minute to watch. Yes, motherfuckers, Hannah thinks, notice me. Even though they are not a guy and not a 5K specialist, even though they will almost certainly not win this race, even though the tendons of their foot might come to furious life at any moment, Hannah lines up at the starting line, choosing to believe, for now, that they are limitless.
0: That was Madison Middleton, reading an excerpt from a short story by McKenna Marsden. The full text of that story can be found on our website at nereview.com. I had a chance to catch up with McKenna and Madison over Zoom, where they talked about running and acting, gender identity, and what it's like to hear your story read aloud. I began by asking Madison to tell us a little about their experience with the text and what this particular story meant to them. When I read it, it
1: immediately appealed to me not only as, you know, as an actor and as a reader, because there were many ways in, um, in that respect, but also as someone who is gender non-binary. And I particularly enjoyed the main character, Hannah, their limitlessness, the feeling of transcending their physical body is in- encapsulated within their identity, um, which is a huge part of the piece And that just... I mean, that is really, really an experience I've had as someone who's, who's realized this identity for myself. And when I have accepted and, and embraced that identity, feeling boundless from uh, from gender and, and actually celebrating an, a, a gender that exists that we don't get to talk about very often. And we rehearsed very briefly. Dana and I had a Zoom call read through the piece. He gave me a few notes. And then a week later, we went into Robson Hall on the Middlebury College campus and recorded it, went back, re-recorded a few things, but it was so quick. So that was, that was my experience with this piece. Very quick, but, you know, a love affair.
0: So McKenna, you were talking earlier a little bit about what it was like to listen to this excerpt, this reading. So if we'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that.
2: Um, yeah, uh, so I don't tend to think of my work as being particularly performative or particularly like sound based. Um, so it was really interesting for me to hear hear it brought to life like that and hear how well it worked in that sense uh, which I think had a lot to do with Madison's performance. I was also very surprised to hear that the rehearsal time was short because I felt like um, uh, Madison was really making what I felt were like very subtle choices about the emotional readings of certain scenes and the ways that the, that pivots in certain scenes that made it even come to more to life for me, even after having written it, um, hearing it sort of spoken aloud in a voice was, yeah, just a really wonderful experience that made me see the piece in new ways too. Especially that there's there's a certain amount of anger in the piece and it's it's mostly subdued and it kind of pops up in different moments, but I felt like that was really well portrayed. And that, yeah, it, it hung together. It felt very cohesive. Um, I think the uh, excerpting was really well done, too, that that the key scenes chosen, I think, were the sort of key scenes in the story.
1: I'm glad to hear that. It was really, really hard to get it down <laughs> because everything for me was essential, every interaction. But at a certain point, I, I had to make a decision, like, who who are we tracking here? And it's, it's Hannah. And... And although there are two journeys going on, there's one that's just very physical, this struggle that they're having with their running career and their their foot. But then there's also the identity and they're entwined, obviously, and it's done really well in the piece, but I wanted to make sure that their identity was at the forefront. But there were some interactions that, you know, if you're listening to this right now, please go read the full version because it's, just so nuanced. There's so much in there. I'm going to jump the gun a little bit just because you brought up the fact that in other versions of this piece, it was longer. And I had a question for you that pertained to elements in the story that weren't there before, but it sounds like you've done a lot of editing to make you know certain elements not be there. So what was that process like?
2: Yeah, it was. So part of my whole conception of the piece was I wanted this idea of a story that's about this non-binary gender identity but with the idea that it's not something that's just one moment it's something that you live over time all the time many different contexts in earlier drafts of this I was writing like there's I wrote about how a Hannah meets their girlfriend. I wrote about how Hannah got started running. I wrote about all these little moments in the course of the window of time that the story takes place in. And I did have to go back and edit it down a lot. So even though it is in its full version, something like 9,000 words long, that was the result of ruthless editing that was very hard for me to do because I did feel like all of these moments were important. But... Yeah, mainly the, the main changes I made were that there's almost nothing in the final version that doesn't take place in the present. So it was cutting out backstory, cutting out all of that, because I feel like we tend to want backstories and reasons and sort of, you know, coming out stories about queer and gender nonconforming characters. And I was interested in a story about after all that's pretty much settled. Um, we have We have Hannah talking to their mom about it, but we don't really get too deep into how they arrived at this gender identity we didn't don't have them coming out to their mom as queer and I did want it just focused on this present moment this sort of living life day-to-day kind of a format
1: for the story yeah I as a reader really appreciated that because then you got this exposition that happened happens really naturally and then there's that other element that you were just referring to that I think is brilliant where you're not giving us what we think of as a coming out story, like the evidence of why this person is queer. It's like, no, there's, like the person says they're queer, they're queer. Like, that's it. And we see that struggle with Hannah's mom just being like, well, no, like, you don't, you know, you're, you're, you're whoever you want to be, but you are a woman. It's like, no, that's, that's not what I'm telling you. And, and what the story literally does is shows you a present picture of what is, not what like should be. Also
2: with the mom in particular that I feel like an attitude that I don't I don't want my characters too much to stand in for like attitudes in society. That's part of what I what I was trying to push against in the story, but because I do think that Han is like a pretty non-stereotypical non-binary person. But with the mom, I feel like there's an attitude I see sometimes that people who are non-binary or trans are necessarily really unhappy and I think that that's a sort of misunderstanding and that, that they see it as a sort of rejection of something rather than as an acceptance of something else. So that was something that I wanted to um, work with in the story. Also that I didn't, I didn't want Hannah to have to explain themselves too much because that's another thing that I see sort of come up in discussions about non-binary identities, people being having to explain what it is having to explain why they feel it and that in this case I wanted it to be okay for the character to just say this is how I feel this is who I am and that's kind of the extent of that and then the
1: rest of it is just sort of
2: living that identity in life.
1: Right and there also seems to be like this is another one of my questions that fits well but the generational gap of understanding um, and I found it to be kind of hopeful because generally the younger people in this piece just they hear that, they just hear, I'm non-binary, and they're like, okay, great, carry on. And I wanted to know if that generational discrepancy was intentional. I would
2: say it was was intentional. I don't want to sort of overgeneralize about anybody, because there absolutely are older people who are completely down. There are older people who even start identifying as non-binary later in life. Um, so I don't, I don't want to generalize that it's a completely generational thing, but I do in, in my own life, one of the things, I think this gets at another of your questions, uh, one of the things that was an inspiration for writing this piece for me was that my partner came out as non-binary. And one of the things that got me started on this piece was realizing that for most people, at least where we were living in um, Somerville, Massachusetts, for most people our age, it was not a big deal at all. It was, it was something that people mostly knew about, mostly didn't really even feel a need to comment on and um, was, you know, just became a part of life. And I do think that there is a, a generational thing of, I think for a lot of younger people um, it's really, it's, it's less accepting or not, but just that it seems like less of an issue. It seems like less of a thing that people feel a need to debate or discuss. It's just kind of a thing that is. And, you know, I do also think that just, just in the last, you know, five years, the change in people's awareness has been massive um, across all generations and demographics, I feel. Um, so I do think that's, that's also part of it is, is that people's familiarity is growing really rapidly. You know, I would like to imagine that in something like this story that a character like Hannah's mother when she has a little more time to think about it probably ends up there too.
1: Yeah. That's exactly how I imagine that trajectory to go. And because I think sometimes people have
2: a, have a negative reaction, not because they, that's not at all hate driven, but just a misunderstanding and that it, it, and unfamiliarity and that as that, as they become more familiar and as they learn more about it, it starts to make a lot more sense.
1: Right. You started speaking about this as well, but I would love to know more about the inception of this piece and whether it built over time or if there was like an exciting incident.
2: Um, There were several things, Uh, a sort of funny story about the beginning of this piece is that I originally intended it to be a flash fiction piece And then it grew something like 100 times in length. My partner had come out as non-binary. My partner is also a marathon runner. Um, And so I had two stories where I was sort of playing with those sorts of ideas. And one was about a character coming out as non-binary. And the other one was about a marathon runner having this foot problem. And I decided where the story came from was I realized I wanted those two stories to be the same story. And then ended up becoming really interested in this character who, even though their inspirations from life, ended up becoming completely their own person and just wanting, wanting to get further and further into this person's life. So, yeah, it, it was sort of realizing that two ideas I'd had floating around um, and not quite known what to do with came together and that ended up being what, what got the story started for me in its current form.
1: It's such a good marriage. It makes so much sense. Often when I
2: read about bodies, people are interested in bodies, like, sexually. But there's so many other things that bodies do. And I was interested in exploring, yeah, these sort of other things the bodies can do and the other ways the body can sort of break down and fail you. And then that, and this idea of identities and categories and things under the surface, and I don't... I don't know that I can exactly name it all, but it just it just all seemed to kind of mesh together in a way that made both ideas carry a lot more weight.
1: We could, we could go to the most cliche question of all time, but I genuinely want to know the answer. What do you hope readers take away from this piece? I mean,
2: several things. Um, I would say on the sort of like macro political level, there's a point that I want to make that, there are all different kinds of non-binary people who are just living life, who are may have other things that are upsetting them in their lives, but their gender identity isn't especially one of them, who you know have jobs and relationships and passions and all sorts of things that don't necessarily have any more to do with their gender identity than a cisgender person's does. That's one aspect of it. Also, I think just, you know, there's I've, I, I'm interested in Part of, part of my story was feeling like I didn't want to have to justify the character's identity. And I also feel like I want the story to work on levels that have to do with familiarizing people with these concepts and, and stuff like that. I also just want it to be a story about a person who really wants something and wants to have this kind of achievement and just runs up against a limit. And how you be happy with that, how you accept when something you love to do is taken away from you. I I was interested in including the gender identity of the character, but then also that probably maybe even more of Hannah's identity in day-to-day life has to do with
1: being a runner. Yeah, I absolutely got that. It seems like every interaction, and also all of of their self-value comes from running. Uh, I, I, although I mentioned that the rehearsal process for this was really short, I ended up running (laughs) while doing this because I was like, I. I am not a natural runner, but I really enjoy it. And I just was like, okay, you're going to have to go at least for 30 minutes every day, like walk and run just so you can get the general frustration of someone who's trying to do something that maybe is a little bit beyond their present capabilities. And there's so much frustration. Yes. But also that kind of release is very attractive and it totally makes sense
2: yeah. Yeah. And that, that having known a number of runners and run myself, that it, it is a thing that becomes an entire way of structuring your life for people. Right. Um, not, not for me as much, but for, for people who do it competitively. So I, I wanted to ask you, um, your background is in acting? Yes. I have been
1: acting since I was five years old. Well, that is very cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, that is to say, it's a bit of a way of life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's also something where your sort of physical instrument is important. Right. Right. Which is actually a really, the interesting part about approaching this work was that it's recorded and my voice is the only thing that's recorded. I'm a very physical person, um, especially in my acting and the the process of, of getting up there and, and knowing that that part is not accessible to the audience was really interesting and probably a challenge. But you know, I was free to express things as much as I wanted within that recording space, but you don't get to see them. Hopefully you can hear them. Well, I, I think you can, and I, I think you got a lot of emotional rage
2: and subtlety just through your voice alone in in the recording.
1: Yay, <laughs> that's so good to hear. Yay. It was so fun to hear more about the process on your end, because I think that everything you were striving to go for, you were very successful, and I'm glad that that this piece is out there because I think that even for people who aren't exposed to this identity, it's such a beautiful way into understanding it through not just the identity but through someone's personhood, someone's complete personhood.
2: Um, well, thank you, and it, it's really meaningful to me to hear that you came away with all that because that you know that's what I'm writing for is to try to. Help people see aspects of themselves and others, and I I just think that's so cool, and it, it's really just like warms my heart, you know.
0: That was McKenna Marsden, author of the short story Suffering in Motion, speaking with Madison Middleton a theater major from Middlebury's class of 22.5. Next time, we'll be talking with the poet Zach Lynch, whose poems Branches and Offered as Suddenly a Forest appeared in the spring 2020 issue of New England Review and will be read by Celeste Levy. This episode of the NER Out Loud podcast was edited and produced by Alexandra John burns a senior Feb at Middlebury College. The NER Out Loud podcast is produced by the New England Review in association with Middlebury College. The reading portion of this episode was directed by Dana Yetten and engineered by Mark Christensen. Our original theme music is by Thomas Wentworth. All other music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. If you want to learn more about the writing you heard today, head over to our website at anyreview.com, where you can find author interviews, events, and more. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. From NER Out Loud, I'm Carolyn Keebler. Thank you for listening.